Good morning, Four Oaks. Thursday, November 9th. So glad that you have joined us for this round of our march through the Gospel of Matthew. So we are in Matthew 12 this week. It's a short passage, uh, verses 38 through 42. And this is situated within the context of the growing hostility between Jesus and the religious leaders and uh, their rejection of Jesus, uh, but not just their rejection of, of Jesus, just their hard-heartedness of refusing to believe even when shown proofs beyond any reasonable doubt that demonstrate who Jesus is. And that's important to note because it provides a sort of a subtext for our passage. And so once again, what we do is we're working through this passage together. We're going to preach on this passage this Sunday. And Lord willing, you're ho hopefully you're getting a glimpse into just sort of the, the, the science of biblical interpretation. How do you approach a passage? Those sorts of things. And so here we are, and let's continue forward. This is verse 38 of Matthew 12. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now, on one hand, it looks like a reasonable request, right? Show us a sign. And Jesus, because after all, he's claiming to be God's anointed, um, coming from God, in fact, God himself, he's forgiving sins, he's doing supernatural works. So on one hand, it might be reasonable to say, well, just like all the other Old Testament prophets, Jesus, show us a sign. But Jesus sees into their heart and he says, a wicked and adulterous nation asks for a sign. And the reason he calls them this is because he sees into the motive of their heart. They're not asking in order, um, out of a sincere heart, to want to know more about him. They are, in fact, testing him. They are trying to discredit him. And even if Jesus had done another sign or many signs from heaven, we know that they would have still refused to believe. They would have found a reason not to believe. They would have attributed those works to Satan and accused Jesus from, from being from Satan. So he sees right in their hearts. Now, that's that's their question, that's his accusation against them. But now Jesus is bringing forth evidence to show just how hard-hearted the Pharisees are, and he draws up two examples from the Old Testament, and these are, are meant to be sort of witnesses um, to their own day, but witnesses against the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees. And he talks about Jonah, and the queen of the south or the queen of Sheba. Now, we looked at the queen of Sheba last time. She was someone who heard all about Solomon, his wisdom, his wealth. She wanted to go see it for her own two eyes. It blew her away. Um, he passed every test, and she, and she believed in him and gave honor and glory to God. And, of course, Jesus' point 
is that uh, she what she saw was so obvious and evident to her um, in the form of Solomon, yet you cannot use the same sort of discernment in recognizing me, and one greater than Solomon is, is here. Now, he applies this same test to, let's look back at the text, to Jonah. And we know, all know the story of, of, of Jonah well, I'm sure, three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. We'll, we're going to talk about that tomorrow. But what I want to focus on here is the idea that Jonah came preaching repentance to the Ninevites, and they repented, okay? And again, the analogy, someone greater than Jonah is here, and um, but the, even the Ninevites, who didn't need a miraculous sign, they just needed the preaching of God's word. They heard, they repented, but you've heard the preaching of God's word the, the, and, and refused to repent, even seeing all these signs, and and so these so the Queen of Sheba and and Jonah sort of form these dual witnesses. And let me explain who represents whom here. Okay. Jesus is saying, I, I've come, I'm God's anointed, I am the fulfillment of the law, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, I'm the King of Kings. Here Jonah comes and the Queen of Sheba comes. Now they represent, in in a sense, Christ, or they represent God's messenger. Okay. And we all know just how deeply flawed Jonah was, okay? He was a prophet on the run. We know that the Queen of Sheba was, in fact, a pagan queen. She was from Africa. She wasn't even of the same ethnicity. She was um, someone who was outside the family of God, okay? Um, and so, so when you think about um, Jonah, okay, who was a very flawed prophet. When you think about Solomon, okay, on the other side, who, while the wisest of kings, was in many ways the most foolish of kings, right? He was a very flawed man. He, he did not end well. He limped to the finish line. He had many wives. And so, and I think I said before, the Queen of Sheba represented Christ. No, Solomon does. So if you have Jonah and Solomon on one side, they're God's messengers and deeply flawed, okay? Yet, even in the midst of all their fallenness and, and brokenness and imperfections, the people still recognized them as God's chosen, right? The Ninevites repented. The Queen of Sheba turned her heart to God because of Solomon. And Jesus is saying, if these imperfect people can respond to these imperfect messengers, why can't you respond to me, the perfect Messiah? It's a stinging indictment. Now, what makes this indictment all the more stinging, okay, is who it was that was responding to God's anointed. So who was, who, 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 who was being faithful and showing faith at the preaching of Jonah? It was the Ninevites, the blasted Ninevites, the Assyrians. These were the destroyers of God's people. They were wicked, pagan, outside the covenant, but yet they were given a heart to believe. Here you have the Queen of Sheba. She's from Africa, outside the, the people of God, also a Gentile, and yet she believes. So what you see here is Jesus is giving them the double barrel. He's saying, not only did you have imperfect messengers, Solomon and Jonah, but you also had imperfect, an imperfect audience, a, a, a Gentile audience, people outside the kingdom. 
and yet they responded to the revelation and light that was given them. And this is why he is heaping judgment upon them. He's saying, I am greater than all these. And you, of all people, Pharisees, have been those who have been purportedly closest to the kingdom of God. You have been studying, reading, praying. You, you've devoted your life to the Old Testament scriptures. And the fulfillment of those Old Testament scriptures are, is right in front of your eyes, and yet you can't refuse. You, you won't believe. Okay, And so that's the way Jesus is unpacking this analogy, and it's a stinging indictment. And, and, and what do we learn from this personally? There's a lot of people who are adjacent to the things of God. And by adjacent, I mean they're in proximity. Um, they're part of a church. They're part of a Christian family. They're part of a Christian group. They might even have Christian friends. They've, they've smelled the fragrance, uh, the, uh, uh, the aroma of Christ, okay, and his blessings and his benefits. But yet, in their hearts, they are far from God, right? It's just a show of religiosity. It's a tradition. It's to keep the peace. It is to keep up appearances, okay? And we have to remember that just being adjacent to the things of God um, does not mean that we um, love God, does not mean that we follow God or obey God or have a heart for God. And so, so it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a text in a lot of ways that's a warning, right? That, that to examine ourselves, okay, to, to, to not harden our hearts, to, to listen to the voice of God. And it's a reminder that every day we need the gospel, right? We need the gospel preached to us. We need it applied to us. Every day we need to wake up and remember who we are apart from Christ and our overwhelming need for his presence and his righteousness and his grace every step of the way. And so, because we have to remember, who are we in this story? Or, or at least in terms of our proximity to Jesus, who are we in this story? Oh, we're the Pharisees, right? We, we, we've had the revelation, we have the new covenant. But again, this guarantees nothing without a broken spirit and a contrite heart. So what a, what a good warning for us, um, but what a good lesson as well. Now, tomorrow, we're going to get to the punchline of this text. They've asked for a sign, and Jesus says, I'm going to give you a sign. There's going to be one more sign. This is going to be the definitive sign. It's the only sign you're going to get, and it's the only sign that you're going to need, and it's the only sign that we need. What is it? Well, you have to come back tomorrow to find out. Or you can just read your Bible and uh, get a little ahead of the game. But anyway, we'll, we'll be back here tomorrow, Friday. Lord, give us tender hearts and a tender conscience towards you. Lord, we don't want to just be adjacent to you. We want to be in fellowship with you, in communion with you, walking with you. So, Lord, draw us to yourself. Give us your grace. In your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. See you tomorrow.